everyone. Welcome to HubShots, episode 147. In this episode, we chat about the opportunities with Google My Business, look at HubSpot's rollout of re-enrollment on deals, companies, and ticket workflows, plus thinking through a customer journey in relation to time-based campaigns. Welcome to HubShots, Asia-Pacific's number one focused, HubSpot-focused podcast, where we discuss HubSpot tips, tricks, new features, and strategies for growing your marketing and sales results. We hope you enjoy the podcast as HubSpot CEO, Brian Halligan does. Thanks for creating this podcast. It's awesome. I listen to it on the weekends and I really enjoy it. My name is Ian Jacob from Search and Be Found. And with me is Craig Bailey from Zen Systems. How are you, Craig? I'm really well. And I'd just like to give a great shout out to Frangos. Frangos. <laughs> this, this episode brought to you by Frangos. Now, what is Frangos, Ian? It's a rather nice chicken shop, should we say. That in- burger, the, the all day breakfast burger, I'll tell you. That's right. You never deviated from the all-day breakfast burger. Right? When you're on a winner, why change? <laughs> so if you're ever in uh, Norwest Business Park in Sydney, or if you ever come to see one of us. Hey, you should drop in there. Yeah. Hey, listeners, drop in on the Hubshots uh, office and we'll take you out to Frango's. That's right. We'll have a Frango Feast. Frango Feast. Wow. Well, there you go. There's the cafe consulting session. <laughs> okay. Inbound thought of the week. All right, Craig, what are we going to say? We've said this before. We'll say it again. again, Google My Business is a wonderful free resource and exposure for your business. Now, why is this important? You know what? I'm going to say why this is important. Because it gives you uh, as a business in the local search results to actually be found and to be where all the big boys are or even beat the big boys. And I think it's so important. Businesses forget this. I was showing you a a picture. I buy some my fruit and veggies from a farm not far from my house. And every year, obviously, they don't have a website. There's a Google My Business listing, which they haven't claimed. And obviously, people post photos. So I've, I showed you a photo. I, I actually literally took a photo of their opening times of Christmas and New Year. And I posted that. It's got massive number of views because people, what do they do? They go, oh, I'm looking for this farm. Is it open or not? And they're able to see it. And that's really the key to all of this, right? It's actually, and it's actually really annoying because over the holidays, I noticed like we went to place or we wanted to go to eat somewhere. It could be like Frango's and they were closed. I actually went to Frango's. I actually looked it up and I went to Frango's and I saw a note that, oh, we opened on the 14th of January. We're off on holidays. Oh, right. But on Google, it said Uh. it was open. Yeah, so bad user experience there. Just thinking about, you said you post photos. Yes. We were checking out the number of views our photos have had. And you were showing me that one of your photos of a place in the US had had, was it 100,000 views? Correct. So why are we mentioning this to you, listeners? Well, because people look at the the photos and the listings. So if you think Google My Business is, oh, yeah, that'd be nice. No one really looks at it. Think again. People look at it. They look at photos to get photos up. Even if you're a business that's not a local kind of shop or anything like that, I mean, we've got them for our agencies. It's just a free listing. It's a chance for you to control the message and the the image. I'll give you an example. Mm. We have a tradition. We go to this really, we go to Balmoral Beach in Sydney on New Year's Day because I have one of my good friends that celebrates his birthday and up until like we became good friends, 
because it was New Year's Day, everyone forgot about his birthday because they were partying hard all night. Yeah, right. And so we went, oh, no, I'm going to make this day special, right? So we used to go, we went to Bathers for breakfast, which is a really nice restaurant, on the beach, and then we'd spend the day on the beach. And so it's become a bit of a tradition. Like I think this is the 14th year we've done it. Oh, wow. But what was really interesting, because we're more aware of what we're eating and what we're doing, my wife was so excited. She was like looking at the menu and she was like, I've decided what I want. And so I went, oh, I'm going to go look. You know what? Because a lot of people go there for lunch and dinner. I think I found two pictures of breakfast. And because the menu has changed over the years, there was actually no pictures. So I honestly looked at the menu. I'm like, I can't see what this looks like. I can't picture mm. what. And so because there's a few of us now, we've got kids and stuff. I actually took pictures of everything and I posted it because I'm sure there are people going, oh, I wonder what breakfast's like. But there's nothing on there. So there's an example of something that I did, but it's, you know. And provides value. Community exactly. service almost. Community service, that's right. <laughs> now, Google's rewarding your community service. That's right. Now, now, hang on. How did we get off on that um, tangent? It's all about Google My Business, right? Oh, that's right. And, because what we wanted to mention in the show is that uh, an opportunity that you can take advantage of is that, yeah, new categories. Google My Business is always rolling out new categories. And you might think, okay, wow, that's just confusing, big deal. Here's the opportunity. You can actually ride on the coattails, as it were, of a new category because because Google's testing these new categories, they often favour them. So in people searching for a particular type of business, they might show businesses with that category, that new category first. We've got a link in the show notes showing where that's actually a case. So pay attention to new categories and perhaps actually categorise your business to what some of these new categories. I know found a, few, a new one. Yeah, we found a new one uh, related to marketing. So I've actually recategorised our listing just as we're preparing the show. Thank you, Ian, for that notification. Yeah. And one thing I do want to share, and this will lead on to the rest of the stuff, HubSpot, you know, the content strategy tool. <laughs> Right, content strategy put me to sleep. Yeah, I know because no one actually actually knew what it was. Anyway, it's been renamed to SEO now. Sting, much more exciting. I yep. know. So, and that's really what it, end goal was to help you do SEO. I think that's right. And that and content strategy sounds like a big onerous task. I uh, ain't got no time for that. I'll do it later. Whereas yeah, SEO people are like yeah, okay, actionable. That's right. Stuff. All right, onto our HubSpot sales feature of the week, Craig. Now this is not overly complicated. But a really great thing to do, especially if you've got a sales team or you've got people that look after sales, might not be in there all the time, is to create a recurring email of your sales dashboard. And this can be a monthly, weekly, or a custom recurring email. And you can select who it goes to, how you want it sent, at what time you want it sent, and how you want it filtered. And I think this is great because even if you fail, it's a great I, I do this within our business. We've set one up and it just emails the marketing and the sales dashboard. So, you know, you can put things like what the team activity is like and so on. Now, obviously, if you don't have marketing professional or enterprise and say you're on starter, you can still email them. It's just that you can't modify or add anything to those dashboards. But if you uh, have professional or enterprise, you can actually really be specific on those dashboards, what you want, Mm. and then you can email those out. Yeah, so this is great. And so you're highlighting it for sales. We've mentioned this in the past on the marketing side. Yes. And I will just say on the marketing side, you're right, you can't really create your own dashboards on free and starter, but you can you can streamline the default dashboard a little bit. So we do this for clients that are on free or starter. 
And, and it's great that it's on free, absolute free. You can actually just remove a few widgets, add a few of the very <coughs> basic ones that are yes. in all, make that dashboard, and, yeah, schedule it out. And so we do with some of our clients. It just goes out on Monday morning, just the um, the marketing dashboard. Okay. Really cool feature. Actually, that's an underappreciated Under- feature in free. Yes. Right? Like reports, maybe in pro and enterprise, people are more that's into really reports. Good. That's the pro tip of the week. Yeah, but for free, yeah, you get a lot for free. I'm going to go schedule some reports, Craig. There you go. All right, which leads us on to our marketing feature of the week, Craig. What's that? All right, you know how last episode we were talking about uh, these new rotation options in workflows. We talked about deal, ticket, and company workflows, getting that lead rotation. Well, they're also getting re-enrollment triggers. So previously you had a contact-based workflow, you could do re-enrollments, and then they rolled out these new workflows, deals, companies, tickets. They're kind of more recent. But you couldn't do re-enrollments into those. Well, now you can. So an example could be deals. You could uh, re-enroll someone uh, into a deal workflow. Now, you'd want to do this, Craig, because I learned this the hard way. (laughs) When you send notifications or you enroll someone in a workflow, what happens is once they've been enrolled once, if you don't click that re-enrollment, if they take a similar action the next time, basically you're not going to, if your workflow was to notify certain people that this is happening, you're not going to get any notification. So I learned this the hard way. So I think this is this is really important. And obviously rolling out to these different kinds of workflows is taking that into account so we can get the results we need. All right, on to the HubSpot gotcha of the week, Craig. Okay, speaking of workflow enrollments, I just want to remind people or highlight this in case you're not aware of it around enrollments and specifically around list-based enrollments. So I'll give you an example. You've got a workflow that someone fills out a form to download an ebook. You might have a smart list that says, you know, all the contacts that have downloaded ABC workbook. And you might say, I'll get that list, smart list, and I'll use that to trigger the workflow because the workflow is going to say, oh, here's a thank you email, thanks for downloading. And I might send a few follow-ups, just checking out the ebook, did you have any questions, follow up a couple yep. of days later. And what you want to do with the ebook is you kind of want to say, well, let's say they forget about that and they come back six months later and they fill out the form again. Well, you want to send them the thank you again and, and the follow-ups. And so the gotcha is that if it's a list-based work, list-based enrollment in that workflow, they're not, it's, not, it's not actually going to trigger again because they're already in the list. So the point is if it's a list-based enrollment in the workflow, they've actually got to go out of the list and then back into the list to trigger it. So this has pros and cons. So let me give you a con. A con is, oh, they come back six weeks later or six months later, fill out the form again. If the enrollment trigger was based on the list, they're not going to get that thank you. They're like, oh, where's my email turning me the ebook? They're not going to get the follow-up nurture. So in that case, you'd say, well, for the thank you email, maybe we should change the enrollment to be basically the form criteria. So the same criteria that you've got filling out, making the smart Mm. list, you actually use that as the workflow criteria. If they fill out this form, trigger the workflow. Now, why am I highlighting this? Well, because I fell into this mistake early on. I used to create smart lists and then use the lists to to trigger trigger. workflows. I never liked triggering workflows based on like contact or form criteria. Right. I tried to trigger them all on lists. Okay. Yeah. And I'll tell you why I thought this at the time. I thought it was very smart. Because I used lists for reporting. Yep. 
I wanted to always make sure what I was reporting on matched what was going into workflows. Yeah. So I'd go, oh, yeah, that's the number of people that, you know, I'd have a list. That's the number of people that filled out that form and did that ebook. And so I know that's how many that went through that workflow. Okay. But you can see I got trapped because yes. if they came back and did it again, they didn't go through the workflow again. So just a reminder about this. And so the way I normally approach it now is I actually think it's okay. I, I actually use the form submits to trigger. to trigger the workflows. But a follow-up nurture, I think it's probably still okay with the list because quite often those longer nurtures, we don't want them going through multiple times anyway. Yes. Now, if you did want them going through the nurture multiple times, maybe it's a quick downy couple of emails, sure, then you should make that workflow form-based enrollment. But in other cases where they're just going into a workflow that you're only really interested in them getting once or yeah. not being real, then smart list is probably okay. So I know that was quite a long explanation about that, but when you're thinking about your system and you're building, you know, we've got hundreds of workflows in our own agency portal, for example. Imagine doing that and having to redo it all again. Get it right from the start. These little things can, you know, save your time down the track. All right. On to our HubSpot Marketing Enterprise Tip of the Week, Craig. That's a mouthful. And this is to integrate YouTube into your HubSpot marketing account. Now, this is something new that was rolled out last year. And why I want to do this? Because it enables you to report on the success of your YouTube videos alongside your other social networks. So this is, if you want to configure it, we've got the knowledge base article there, but it's basically where you configure your social accounts is where you'll configure your YouTube accounts. And you can see how people are engaging with your videos and your content. So I think that's a really key aspect. My only comment in this, I was surprised this was enterprise. We, so was I, we, because I tried to do it in professional the I other day. I thought it was day. a pro thing, but yeah, it's enterprise. It's just a report. <laughs> just a report. Imagine upselling someone to enterprise, like telling them, and they're going, oh, why should I upgrade to enterprise? You know, you can report on YouTube. You can, what? <laughs> Need enterprise for that? Seriously? All right. I'll do a marketing tip of the week, Craig. And I want to highlight this because in searching for this YouTube answer, I discovered that out of the box, HubSpot, if you embed a YouTube video, you know, HubSpot landing page, blog item or website page, it actually does not make the YouTube video responsive. So when you when it goes down to a down to a mobile device, for example, that YouTube video will not scale with the screen. And what they've done is they've said, oh, if you want to do that, you need to make sure this code is in your style sheet and they've given all the code. So it's not hard. So my question is, why isn't this already in there and why are we sticking things in style sheets? Anyway, regardless of that, here is the fix. So there is a fix and just be aware that this is this will happen. So when if you have YouTube videos embedded on your HubSpot hosted pages, please go and check it and then add this code in as this will fix that problem. Yeah, look, I, we should have a rant of the week section. Like, this is so <laughs> dumb, right? I, I want to rant on two things. First of all, the YouTube... Reporting? Uh, no, no, the YouTube embed code oh, yeah. itself. Now, I know what we're talking about here is actually HubSpot's native support for embedding yes. it. So you don't actually have the YouTube code itself. But I want to go back a step to the source, YouTube. You know, when you choose the embed code there, hmm. like, that's not responsive. No. It's set with dimensions. Why isn't there an option? Unless I've missed it. I hope yeah. I've missed it. Please listen and say, oh, you're turkey, you missed it, right? Surely there's an option. Just make responsive, like the embed of YouTube. I don't understand. And you see this on websites all the time. You know, you're on your phone and the video is like this postage stamp Correct. size because it didn't, it's just a debacle. 
Anyway, so that's the rant one. YouTube, why don't they do it? And I'd love to know the answer. I'm sure there's a good reason. Yeah. I'm sure there's a good reason. Someone has thought about this and said, no, we have fixed dimensions on our YouTube embed script Mm. for this reason. I don't know why, but I'm sure there's a good reason. But second rant, exactly as he said, HubSpot has native support for (laughs) inserting a YouTube video in the CMS. I know. Surely they'd just be a tick, make responsive. Or do it by default. Like I can't really think of a good use case where you wouldn't. Maybe if yeah. it's in a sidebar or I don't, I don't know. But sure, just have a tick box. Make res- Why would you have to have a support article about going in to, <laughs> CSS to your CSS to make a you Like what is going on? Like I just don't get it. Maybe the person doing support was a bit junior. No, no, that's not the support person's fault. It's why it doesn't HubSpot's product support it. That's and, true. well, this is another one of those cases. You know how it's easy to criticise. I know. It's, it's easy to point pro- fingers, isn't it? It's product team going, look, we've got a million priorities <laughs> and we can't, we can't choose them all as much as we'd like to. But, yeah. All right. Leading on to our insight of the week, Craig. Okay. Rant over. There we go. People are on a journey from research to the purchase. However, everyone is on a different time frame on their journey. So you can't nicely shoehorn people into a time-based campaign. And this is very apparent in a lot of industries we work in, right? Because people can take one month to make a choice. People can take two years to make the same choice because they're outlaying a lot of money for a house. So why are we highlighting this? Okay, I'll give you the scenario for this. Because if you're doing a general nurture with a workflow and pushing people between workflows and, you know, an overall life cycle, it's okay. You can kind of grab them and then based on behavioural, you know, uh, criteria, what they do, you can push them into workflows and they can go at their own time. Why this is important, why we're targeting in this episode is because if you've got a time-based campaign and a good example is an event. So chatting with a client, they've got a conference coming up. And so they're talking about, we're going to have an eight-week campaign to promote the conference. And we need to make people aware of it. Then we need to talk about benefits and then we need to push them to decision, right? I'm like, yeah, okay, that's great. What they wanted to do was they're expecting everyone to come in and go through the awareness piece, then go through consideration and then purchase as if they're going to follow this timetable because they understand journey. They understand at least what they're better than most people that think, oh, we'll just promote purchase and people, you know, hand over dollars on day one. What they actually realize is no, people need to be educated and then push for purchase. But what wasn't quite captured in the campaign when they're setting up strategy is realising that people are at different places in the journey, right? So on day one of the campaign, some people are actually ready to purchase, but not not many, let's say. And others really need to be taught, you know, here's the agenda, here's, what the, here's the benefits, here's what it means for you. So they need to go through this campaign, building awareness and, and driving, you know, it might be an early bird special, that kind of stuff. So the point of talking about this in the show is just to remind people that it's actually hard. And instead, what you need to do is you need to be aware that people could be at any any stage of that journey along the way, and that's not going to fit your campaign. They're not neatly going to, oh, that's that's great, fit in my campaign, would you? No, everyone's got their own journey. So a few takeaways from that. Now, one is every piece of messaging that you've got, you want to typically have, you know how we talk about each piece of content should have one goal. One main goal, at least. However, don't exclude people. So in a time-based campaign, an example might be very first email that goes out, creating awareness, should be the, maybe the goal is to get them to the website. Talk about the piece. It's awareness. However, should you have 
a smaller CTA about someone that wants to register straight away? Absolutely. So you've got to have that there because wherever they are, you've got to accommodate that in the journey. And you had a good example. You're showing me an email from Tesla, totally different example, which was a really good example about how they had multiple CTAs and how they actually color-coded them or styled them to have a very preferred main CTA, but then a smaller one that might not be the priority. So you can manage it. You can do it with design, good user experience. But the main thing is just to be aware of what people in their own journeys, where they're at, and not just assume they're going to fit in with your own specific time-framed campaign. I think that's really good, Craig, because I'll tell you, like, so it's a Tesla example, because I love cars. The whole thing is about people experiencing what it's like to drive a Tesla, right? So the, 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 what they basically said, they had their little, they had their statement about the Model S being the safest, quickest car on the road, and the Model X as being their award-winning SUV, the best-in-class storage seating, seven seats. And then they said, request a test drive experience at Tesla today or explore our financing options below. The first CTA, which has really stood out to me, was says test drive, right? The next one, which looked a bit grayed out, says value my trade. And I thought this was interesting because this is one of the things they push pretty much on every email. And this is the first time I saw this secondary CTA that looked like it was grayed out. Mm. So here's one of those things is that, Really what they're trying to do is push for you to take the test drive. But if you're not up to that stage or comfortable doing that, oh, we'll look at your car or we'll tell you how much your car is worth. So they're actually getting you started on that path to purchase just down a different avenue. So I think it's really interesting to understand and maybe they're testing this out. They're like, well, people actually drive other cars and they might we might give them an opportunity to think, oh, if they trade in their car, this could be another part to get them in the test drive. Now on to our retirement of the week, Craig. You know, the Google Chrome browser. Yes, which we all use. Which we all use. It's enabling their own ad blocker in July. And I asked the question, why? Because Google serves most of the ads that people see. Well, they're getting rid of the bad ads, Ian. Oh, the it, bad it, ads. It's about, an ad, it's about a better is advertising that, is experience. That, is that how we get rid of Facebook ads, Craig? <laughs> I think it's things like those nasty pop-ups and interstitials. Oh, pop-ups. Oh, nice. <laughs> Did you say pop-ups, Craig? <laughs> so they're retiring certain type of ads. Thank you, Chrome Browser, for looking after my addicts. I just, I just think it's the funniest thing ever. In their blog post, I can't, they must have been almost choking on their words as they write this blog post. They're like, they join, it's called something like the Better Ads Coalition or yeah. Alliance. It's just like, who is that fooling? Like, it's just blatant opportunism. So well, they're trying to market something to us, Chris. <laughs> anyway, that's the retirement of the week. I'll move on. Gee. All right. Now, there is also predictive lead scoring within HubSpot, uh, manual on marketing professional and pre- predictive, predictive enterprise. enterprise yeah. right? Now, what is changing? They're actually changing a whole lot of how that shows in the dashboard for one. Oh, I'm not going to go into all the details here. There's a link and, you know, we're coming close to time. But if you ever saw that contact property called likelihood to close yes, uh, and things like that, that's kind of, it's almost like that's their new predictive lead scoring people property. Property. Likelihood to close. So, yeah, we've got a few notes in the show notes about that. They said they're not going to be updating the predictive lead scoring in the near future. So I don't know what that means. They haven't actually announced the date for when that'll change over. But, yeah, it's going to be changing. Do you remember we were chatting about this? Like I think it was around the time of inbound last yes. year. I'm going, what's this new likelihood to close for? That's great. I wonder what it is. Well, here it is. It's kind of the replacement for predictive lead scoring in a way. 
All right, resource for the week, Craig, and this is a content content audit guide. Yeah, look, it seems like every man and his dog's written a content audit guide. Uh, Ahrefs, which this one's from, is actually a really good one. Yes. So there's lots of good ones. Even HubSpot within their um, projects has some good. Uh, they don't probably call them content audits, but they're like yeah. Well, uh, it's a content review. A I content think review. it was part of one of the certifications. Yeah. We did. So there's lots of these. They're good. This is just a reminder, really. Uh, and why we're linking to it is just to be reviewing your content. It is. Now, I'll give you a little example. I saw a customer today and he bought a business from somebody. This person he bought the business from decided they have so many pages on every nitty-gritty thing and some of the things he does not even do in his business. And what was apparent was the sheer scale of this. And he goes, I don't, like every time I think of doing it, it's like, how do I tackle this because there's so much out there so i actually told him i said well show me analytics i'll choose the top 10 pages i said maybe we'll keep the top 20 but we'll start with the top 10 and we just cull the rest because i i, I can be almost pretty guaranteed that it doesn't get much traffic and we'll start from there and make a better improve balance rates and so on so i thought that's a really good place to start but this the content order will kind of do this if you follow a process you'll get to this stage and there is a method to go through this. It does seem really daunting and I think this is where you need to trust that the process you go through will get you the result on the other end. I'm just about to embark on one of these for a government agency. Oh, Craig. (laughs) I've done those in the past, uh, like 20,000 pages, content audit. It's quite involved, the amount of stuff that we go through, like... um, without boring everyone with all the details, we kind of give each page a score. Yes. So one part of it could be oh, how much organic traffic it's getting, how much traffic is it getting from other sources because it was referred. Then we look at things like backlinks, how many backlinks to these pages, bounce rates, engagement. Also, is it part of a journey internal to other things? like? And so we kind of give them all a score and then you order by the score. And I think we remember we did this for a, um, the, a department a couple of years ago and it turned out like, 80% of the pages were just guff. Well, well, not guff, but weren't meaningfully contributing, contributing to yeah. site value yep. or user experience or, you know, traffic, of course. So, yeah, big, big um, improvements to be made. I'll just change the topic for one second and I'll ask you, are you, are you organised at home? Do you do regular cleanups of your house where you kind of go, ah, oh, there's some old clothes, I'll chuck those out? Yeah, we do. I guess we're not... Put it this Very way. Very structured, are you, but we do. Are you hoarders? Do you hoard everything? No. No. And do you think that's a much better way to go? <laughs> you can see where I'm going, right? Totally. You come to your website, are you a hoarder? Yeah. That's basically it. Do you just keep on every single page yeah, you've ever written because you just right. can't bear to let it go? Correct. Uh, if that's the case, you kind of need help and, uh, yeah, have a look at that. I mean, I can understand why it's just laziness. You just yeah. don't get around to it, but here's a reminder to get Correct. back to it. All right, finally, our quote of the week, Craig. If you do not take risk for your opinions, you are nothing. And this is from Nassim Nicholas Taleb. From his wonderful book. Called Skin in the Game. Skin in the Game. Hidden Asymmetries in Daily Life. I love I, lo- I love this book. I've started reading it. I actually, in uh, Mastermind, we've been going through it. Yeah, right. And and then I think I was telling you about it, like, oh, I just finished reading that. So... Thank you for giving me the book, but yeah. it's, there's so much wisdom in there, isn't it? It is one. It's it. That was my book of the year last year. It's yeah, right. had the most impact on me. Skin in the game. Yeah. yeah, right. All right. There's a bonus link, Craig, for 
Oh, Google Sheets. Do you use Google Sheets for doing all yes. kinds of stuff? You know, formulas here, pull in from I other do. sites. Well, this is the site for you. It's got tons of different sheets for marketers where you basically automate a whole bunch of your marketing stuff in sheets. Yeah. That's fantastic. I mean, uh, SEO, where would SEO be these days without Excel and Google Sheets? Exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't survive. Love you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Share this podcast with a friend or a colleague within your business so we can help us reach more marketers and more salespeople. Well, Craig, until next episode. Catch you later, Ian. Hey there. Thanks for listening to this episode of HubShots. For show notes and the latest HubSpot news and tips, please visit us at hubshots.com.